What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Hey everyone, it's me, Carrie. I want to give you a heads up that this episode of Firebug contains descriptions of violence and sexual assault that might not be suitable for everyone. So listen at your own discretion. When reporting a story as complicated as the John Orr case, it's easy to go down a rabbit hole that leads to a dead end or to an outcome that you didn't quite expect. Throughout my 30 years of digging into this case and the time it took to put this series together, there was one story we spent a considerable amount of time on that didn't quite fit into the main arc of the series. It's a story that shows just how deep investigators back in the 90s went as they searched for clues to real crimes in Orr's book, Points of Origin. And it all starts with this man. Actually, I never had any plans on becoming an arson investigator. As it turns out, I do have that investigator in me. This is Steve Patterson, a 20-year firefighter who became an arson investigator for the Burbank Fire Department. When I encounter certain things, I want to find out why. Back on December 13, 1990, long before John Orr's arrest, Patterson was working a side job. I was on the Johnny Carson show, serving as like a safety officer there. I got a page. I needed to respond to a fire at Mort Surplus on Victory Boulevard. As I drove up to the scene, I found an unbelievable fire burning in this relatively small building. The fire was just boiling out of the top of the roof and a lot of black smoke. I get out of my car and I, I see John Orr and he's videotaping the fire. I did wave to him. I, I didn't give a lot of thought to it. I thought, wow, you, you must have been in the area to get there that quickly. While firefighters put the blaze out, Patterson interviewed employees in the parking lot. One said she saw the fire start in a pile of cardboard boxes in the back room. That was the point of origin. Since Orr was already there, Patterson decided to ask him for help. I thought, well, he, he's an experienced investigator. I'm going to have him come over and help me analyze the scene. As we're looking at the fire scene, he starts pulling me away from the area of origin. He wasn't eager to dig into anything. I'm thinking to myself, John, you're not really offering a lot of good input. And he said, well, it looks like you have a firm grip on what's going on here. If you need any further assistance, call me back. And he left. One year later, John Orr's face would be everywhere. The chief arson investigator of Glendale, California, pleaded not guilty today to charges of arson. Prosecutors allege that John Orr started fires in at least five stores and videotaped some of the blazes. After his arrest, there was a big picture in the local newspaper about John. I got a call from the people at the Mort Surplus store. They told me, they said, oh, we remember this guy when we were 
exiting the building when it was on fire. He was acting very excited. He was kind of almost jumping up and down. He wanted to know if there was a fire inside the building. Of course, he never went inside to make sure everybody was out. After Orr's arrest, the ATF invited Patterson to their L.A. office to discuss the fire at Mort's. He was brought into a room and shown the video that John took that day. In viewing the video, it was obvious that he was videotaping the fire prior to the arrival of the fire department. John was videoing them coming into the scene. Orr hadn't told Patterson that he had been there since the very beginning of the fire, filming all of it. That would have been key to my investigation. So it was pretty obvious why he didn't do that, though. It would have led to a lot of questions that he would have been forced to answer. It wasn't long before Patterson saw a familiar face in the video. His. He videotaped me getting out of my car, and I kind of acknowledged his presence by giving him a wave. Because of me waving to John, that agent kind of started directing questions that were maybe a little bit accusatory. Would I have been possibly involved with John in setting these fires? I looked across the room and I saw a mirror on the wall and I figured it out that there were other agents behind the mirror. I had to laugh at the guy. I go, I didn't even know John was setting fires. There was no way I'd be involved in setting fires. Pretty soon they came into the room and we kind of laughed the whole thing off. Investigators established that Patterson was someone they could trust. And they needed him. He was one of the investigators that I specifically requested participate. District Attorney Mike Cabral was preparing to indict Orr for the 1984 arson at Ole's Home Center, a fire that had killed four people. He'd brought together a task force of investigators to build his case, and he wanted Patterson to fill the final spot, because Patterson knew something the other investigators didn't. He knew John Orr personally. He had worked quite regularly with John and had called John over on almost every fire investigation he had done. I actually felt honored to be asked to be part of the task force. I knew it wasn't because I was some great fire investigator. I just felt like I want to do everything I can do to make sure he gets convicted for the fires that he set in our city. Patterson didn't know then that his investigation would take him deep into John Orr's dark side hunting for what he would come to believe was Orr's fifth and final victim. I'm Carrie Antholis. This is Firebug. Orr wrote that his book, called Points of Origin, is a fact-based novel that follows the pattern of an actual arsonist. It was really difficult to read and think the sexual things they were talking about was actually my dad. John placed himself outside of who he was. I'm not that guy who started that fire. That's another guy. I had someone 
that would come and knock on my door in the darkest part of the night. I think that was John Orr. And here it is in his own words. He's guilty. He did it. This was not a novel. This was not fiction. This was evidence. Epilogue 1, The Fifth Victim. One of the first things arson investigator Steve Patterson received as a new member of the DA's task force was a copy of John Orr's book, Points of Origin. As soon as I got it, I took it home and started reading through that manuscript as fast as I could. You know, I recognized a few of our fires. Aaron drove slowly along Victory Boulevard, looking at his latest brush fire in the hills above Burbank. Mort's is located on Victory Boulevard here in Burbank. It was easy to uh, recognize that fire. Aaron evaluated the area at the back of the store. He smiled and lowered himself down in his seat, picking up the old newspaper he always kept handy. Aaron sets a fire and puts newspapers over his lap and masturbates. Now you have to say to yourself, Was he this weird that he actually did this? I don't think he had a great imagination. I think he was telling a story exactly how things occurred. His uh, manuscript was strictly a diary. Patterson and other investigators wanted to know where did points of origin stop being a work of fiction and become a confession? Some bright investigator figured out Aaron Stiles was an anagram for I said L.A. Arson. During these task force meetings, we were basically going through the manuscript page by page. But there was one section Patterson kept coming back to. The opening of the manuscript had to grip you. Aaron had already killed five people in one of his fires. We knew about four people in the Oles fire, so we were kind of looking for number five. While the other investigators went through the many fires in Orr's manuscript, Patterson became consumed by another storyline. Orr's serial arsonist, Aaron Stiles, became obsessed with a young woman. As he parked, Aaron looked into the store and saw a young-looking blonde girl walk up to the counter. She approached, and he saw she was only 15 or 16 years old. Nice shirt, he said as she passed. Fuck you, she spat at him. Orr named the girl Trish. She's an orphan and the object of Aaron's obsession. Orr wrote such a descriptive detail about Trish Maybe this was a real person. Her loose t-shirt fell away from her waist as she bent, showing one of her firm breasts from below. His body tingled, his anger smoldering. After he sees her at 7-Eleven, Aaron can't get Trish out of his mind. He closed his eyes tightly, imagining the large-breasted girl beneath him. In his mind, he had pinned her down and was controlling her. I'll fucking show you, bitch, he muttered. Aaron's stalking this girl. He knows a lot about her. 
her activities, where she lives. As the story develops, there's a point at which Aaron goes to Trisha's apartment and bangs on the door, and he's got a gun in his hand. And when she opens the door... She didn't have time to scream as he shoved the door toward her, the pistol crashing against her cheek. He pushes her to the floor and takes the gun and holds it to her head and says, I will fucking put a bullet in your head if you say anything. He ties Trish up. He attempts to rape her, and he becomes flaccid. He's thinking, what can I do to get myself excited again? Reaching into his pocket, he brought out a device. Silently, he lit it and he sets a fire in her apartment, and that stimulates him again. He prematurely climaxes. And then Aaron leaves Trish there, tied up in the apartment, with the fire blazing. He circled the block several times until he saw a glow and a thin wisp of smoke from the third floor window. Satisfied his device functioned, he headed to the freeway, invigorated by the warm evening air blowing in his face. I kind of pushed myself away from the table, and I said, if we think that John set all these fires, why don't you think that he may have killed this girl, Trish? Was Trish victim number five? Welcome to True Spies, the podcast that takes you deep inside the greatest secret missions of all time. Suddenly out of the dark, it's appeared Bin Laden. You'll meet the people who live life undercover. What do they know? What are their skills? And what would you do in their position? Vengeance felt good. Seeing these people pay for what they'd done felt righteous. True Spies from Spyscape Studios, wherever you get your podcasts. Have you ever felt like escaping to your own desert island? Jane Gaskin did exactly that, trading in the family home to begin a new life in the tropics. But she soon discovers that paradise has its secrets. I'm Alice Levine, and this is The Price of Paradise, the island dream that ends in kidnap, corruption, and murder. Wish you were here? Follow The Price of Paradise now, wherever you listen to podcasts. having read the manuscript. Clearly, I was concerned about public safety. District Attorney Mike Cabral had assembled a task force to investigate John Orr. And central to the case was Orr's novel, Points of Origin. This was very scary. The conduct was extremely scary. There's conduct in there that involves sexual assaults, attempted murders, as well as fires. And I found that very frightening he was maybe capable of a lot other things than we were looking at. While some of the members of the task force ran down the many arsons or described in his book, Burbank investigator Steve Patterson wanted to find out how much of the violent sexual behavior depicted in the book reflected Orr's real life. That's how he found himself in the living room of Orr's second wife, Sheila. Her home was neat and orderly, so was she. Um, I believe she was a vice president of a bank. I was thinking to myself, 
how did you get involved with a guy like this? I didn't have to prod her for answers. She just kind of opened up and I just listened. And she talked uh, openly about their sexual relationship. Sheila mentioned the fact that John used candles during their sexual activities. He liked to have candles burning. Their lovemaking became more like mock rapes. He would wear a mask, tie her up, rip her clothing off. At one point, he even took a gun and stuck it against the pillow, which was against her head, and said, I'm going to blow your effing head off. The person Sheila described didn't sound like the John Orr that Patterson knew. It sounded like Aaron from Points of Origin. I will fucking put a bullet in your head if you say anything. Sheila told me that she never believed that he would ever hurt her, but said, I could see how John could get carried away and maybe do something that he didn't intend to do. This is a pattern that John has established with Sheila. Now, these other women in his life, are they going to tell me the same story? Patterson tracked down a girlfriend of John's, a woman who worked in the Glendale Dispatch Center. She was another woman that didn't need much prodding about her sexual activities with John. She pretty much said exactly what Sheila had said. John would call her and say, you have any old clothes? Because I want you to wear them. He would tie her to the bed, rip her clothing off, and uh, basically it was a mock rape. I had another interview, which I, I did the interview by myself at the woman's home. The thing that stands out in my mind mostly is that um, she had sex with John in a motel room and he had tied her up pretty much everything like the other women and then when he was through he left her tied up to the bed how she got out of that room i don't recall exactly what she told me Patterson recognized a pattern Orr had with the women in his life, tying them up, mock assaults, gunplay. It was similar to what Aaron does to Trish in Points of Origin. The question was, if Trish was a real person, who was she? I had a friend that was a homicide detective at one time, and I called him up, and I said, does Burbank have any unsolved homicides? And he said, yes, we have three. I said, don't tell me about them. I'm going to give you a description of a case. So described how Trish was attacked. And he told me, yes, we have a case like that. Her name was Mary Dugan. I was given permission to look at the homicide book of the Dugan case. And then I also got a copy of the autopsy report. Her body was found around June 9th, I believe, in 1986. 
at the rear of uh, property here in Burbank. The patrol officer that found her body had seen the car parked there the prior shift that he worked. On the second shift, he saw some broken glass. So he went over to investigate. That's when he found Mary's body in the rear of the vehicle. There was a male jacket that was covering her nude body. And then on top of that, there were newspapers. She had ligature marks on her wrists and ankles. So she was tied up. The autopsy report on Mary revealed that she actually suffocated due to a toilet tissue forced into her mouth, which forced her tongue across her airway. In the novel, Aaron takes a towel and stuffs it into Trisha's mouth. You look at the manuscript and you know what John's sexual practices are. And then here we have an actual case. The similarities between what he wrote about and the actual homicide part of John's device. Marlboro cigarettes were found in the vehicle. There was also yellow line paper and matches. John had to have been the person that was involved in Mary's homicide. It was like, I got you now, buddy. I got you. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. In the 1970s, John Todd burst onto the evangelical scene with a shocking tale. He claimed to be a former witch involved in a then-unheard-of secret organization called the Illuminati and urged Christians to prepare for a violent world takeover. First of all, the number one weapon in everybody's home should be a 12-gauge pump shotgun. Hear the amazing story of one of the originators of the modern-day conspiracy theory. From Magnificent Noise and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Cover Up, The Conspiracy Tapes. Fire investigator Steve Patterson felt that he had linked John Orr to the real-world murder of a woman named Mary Dugan. He brought what he'd found to Deputy DA Mike Cabral. There were a couple of red flags that concerned us, so we thought, is this unsolved crime, the one that is actually Trish from the book. Mary Dugan worked at a bank that John banked at occasionally. At some point, somebody told us that Mary Dugan was in fact dating some firefighter person that nobody knew. 
So there were all sorts of little clues that maybe it was John. We spent a great deal of time trying to track down whether there was any connection. In addition to the possible real-world connections between Dugan and Orr, they found another possible link in Orr's manuscript. One of the sheriffs on the task force said, I want you to turn to this page. John talks about his girlfriend, Chris. The phone rang, startling both of them, its volume on high. Chris listened as Phil asked several questions of the caller, obviously distraught by the news. He hung up, looking up at Chris from his seat on the bed. I don't know if I told you about my 7-Eleven witness, Trish, he asked. Well, somebody just tried to kill her. Chris, she's not given a last name until towards the end of the manuscript, Chris's last name was given as Kill Mary. Chris let him talk on as she picked up the phone, dialing the hotel operator. This is Chris Kilmary, room 432. The girl that I'm looking into, her first name is Mary. There are no Kilmarys in the California DMV. I used to get chills <laughs> and the hair on my neck would stand up. I got a physical reaction to that connection. Patterson felt like he was on the right track. And the more he learned about Mary Dugan, the more dedicated he became to solving her case. You know, it was a tragedy that someone that age would have died in such a way and then been discarded the way she was. Uh, it just, you know, this couldn't help but feel for the family. I, I looked at the Dugan family kind of as comparable to my own family. My oldest daughter was about the same age as Mary. You know, I mean, you couldn't help to think um, if it was your daughter. Anyhow, yeah, it's uh, you can't help but get emotionally involved. Patterson's obsession with the Mary Dugan case did not make him popular with the Burbank Police Department. I actually was pointing out some failures in the initial examination of the Dugan case. Within a month or two of Mary's death, Burbank classified her death as a cold case. Now, that, that's astonishing to me, how you can make it a cold case so quickly. I was up in the office doing some paperwork. And uh, my boss called me and said uh, he wanted me to come down into his office. When he got there, Patterson was met by his boss and a lieutenant from the Burbank Police Department. So the three of us were seated in the office, and uh, pretty soon my boss got up and left me and the, the lieutenant in there. So, I mean, he was quite pleasant. I don't re really remember what the conversation was. I'm sure it had something to do with Mary Dugan. The lieutenant and I were sitting maybe three feet apart. All of a sudden, he lurched forward in his seat and he took his index finger and he pointed it right into my face. And he said, I'm telling you right now, take your fucking nose and stick it somewhere else. 
And that's when I told them, fuck you. Now, what do you want to do about it? And they got up and he left the office. From that point on, I was persona non grata at the Burbank Police Department. I had reached the end of the line as far as cooperation within any aspect of that homicide case. To justify my feelings, there's always been something um, that was there keeping me from getting the information that I really wanted and needed. I, I felt... I felt frustrated. I tried everything. Patterson was forced to put the Mary Dugan case aside. This is prosecutor Mike Cabral again. Steve Patterson, to this day, believes that John Orr was responsible for Mary Dugan's death. While I think there is some evidence pointing to John, I think that the evidence is very circumstantial and does not even amount to probable cause to believe he did it. Patterson went back to investigating the fires that Orr was suspected of starting. As part of the task force, he helped to collect the mountains of evidence that would eventually convict John Orr of the Oles fire. However, because of Patterson's efforts, physical evidence from Mary Dugan's rape kit was eventually submitted for genetic testing. One of the things that John's conviction did is it allowed us to obtain his DNA to see if there would be a match with any of the evidence from Mary Dugan. I got a call from the captain over the detective bureau that told me, I'm going to tell you that John Orr did not kill this girl and that it's an active investigation, and that's all I'm going to say. The DNA from Mary's rape kit excluded John Orr as a suspect. And initially, it wasn't linked to anyone else either. Finally, in November of 2019, there was a huge break in the Mary Dugan case. An arrest in two 30-year-old murder cases. A 64-year-old man has been charged with the 1981 and 1986 murders of two women. Genetic genealogy led investigators to the suspect. A man named Horace Van Valtz was arrested and charged with the murder of Mary Dugan and another woman, Selena Keough. L.A. District Attorney Jackie Lacey announced the charges. On Thursday, Horace Valtz was arrested in Los Angeles on suspicion of raping and killing two young women in Southern California more than 30 years ago. Police had run the DNA sample collected in the rape kit from Mary Dugan through a commercial genealogy platform allowing them to narrow down possible suspects. That led to his arrest on Thursday. So he's accused of sexually assaulting and killing this woman, 22-year-old Mary Duggan. She was found in the trunk of her car in a Burbank parking lot in the summer of 1986. Police found 21 photographs of young women in a search of Van Valtz's home and are asking the public for help in identifying them as possible victims. As of publication of this episode, Van Valtz has pleaded not guilty and is awaiting trial in California. Investigators are also trying to determine if Vaults, the same suspect here, is connected to other unsolved crimes. Reporting live downtown, we'll send it back to you in studio. Steve Patterson retired from fire investigation in 1998. To this day, despite the new DNA evidence, 
he still has a hard time letting go of the clues from points of origin that pointed to John Orr as the killer. I just wanted to solve this Mary Dugan case in the worst way. It's still very difficult for me to believe that John wasn't the one, but all the DNA evidence connected this horse bolts to the crimes. So um, I had to be satisfied with that. Patterson went down a rabbit hole that ultimately led to a dead end. But without his dogged effort, Mary Dugan's DNA might never have been entered into the California criminal database, and Horace Van Vaults might never have been connected to her murder. It was largely due to Patterson's persistence that Mary Dugan's cold case may possibly be solved more than 30 years later. On the next bonus episode of Firebug, we look at the bizarre case of another prolific serial arsonist. I started to realize that this guy had this kind of reign of terror that stretched back many years and touched more people than any of us had imagined. Firebug is a production of Truth Media in partnership with Sony Music Entertainment. It was created in association with Crime Story Media. This episode of Firebug was produced by Ryan Swigert and Michelle Lance. Ryan Swigert is our senior producer. Story editing by Mark Smerling. Carrie Antholis, that's me, is your host and executive producer. Kevin Shepard and Alessandro Santoro are associate producers. Our archive producer is Brennan Reese. Scott Curtis is our production manager. Voice acting by Levi Petrie. Fact-checking by Austin Thompson. Michael Blumenfeld did the mix. Sound design by Michael Blumenfeld and Ryan Swigert. Music by Kenny Kusiak, John Kusiak, and Marmoset. Our title track is Young Men Dead by Black Angels. The full season of Firebug is available now for Binge. So if you've enjoyed the show, please tell your friends. And as always, thank you for listening.